Okay, and we are in First John, I'm sorry, John chapter 1, not First John, John chapter 1. As we are continuing a study that we started last week, a series actually on the deity of Christ. And so this is going to be part two of which, what will probably be a three-part message. I'll do one more message for sure next week. Next week, it'll be more focusing on looking at the person of the Holy Spirit uh, next Sunday. Also, invite you to join us here on Wednesday nights as we're going chapter by chapter, verse by verse through the book of Isaiah, or you can listen to or watch our services online. Uh, we were in Isaiah chapter 8 last Wednesday night, wonderful uh, section of Scripture. A lot of it is about Jesus. Uh, this week, we'll be in Isaiah chapter 9. Uh, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Wonderful. So today we're in John chapter 1, and this is the second part of the series entitled The Deity of Christ. And I've entitled this message, The Mystery of the Trinity. The Mystery of the Trinity. A lot of people get hung up on the triunity of God. And so we're going to look at the mystery of the Trinity uh, this morning. John chapter 1 and verse 1 says this. In the beginning was the Word. In the Greek, it's the logos. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. And without Him, nothing was made that was made. In Him was life. And the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Skip to verse 14. And the word, or the logos, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Last week, we used verse, uh, Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14 as a springboard for this series, Isaiah 7, 14, which tells us the prophecy that the virgin would conceive and bring forth a son uh, and shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God is with us. And so there is this, this mystery of the uh, divine nature of the Messiah that's going to come, although he will be God, he will also be uh, fully man. And it just, it just blows our little minds. We can't understand it. It's bigger than our minds can comprehend, but that's okay. There's lots of things that our minds can't comprehend that we uh, take for granted and we just accept by faith living uh, every day that we wake up and get out of bed every morning. There's just certain things that are beyond our comprehension, beyond our understanding. One of them is the triunity of God. That God could be one God and yet three separate and distinct persons or individuals that make up the Godhead. So here in uh, John 1.1, 1, 1, we read, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So in the beginning, that reminds us of the first verse of the Bible. In Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So uh, time was a created thing. God created time, matter, and space when he created our space-time continuum. 
And so God existed outside of space and time. He created space and time even as a painter exists outside of his painting. A builder exists outside of his building. So the creator of the universe exists outside of his creation. He's outside of the time-space-matter continuum. He spoke and his word caused the universe to explode and leap into existence. The Lord said, let there be light, and there was light. He spoke the universe into existence. Now, we're told here in the New Testament that in the beginning, at that time, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning was the Logos, and the Logos was with God, and the Logos was God. The Logos is the Greek word uh, that really we get our English word logic from or reason from. And uh, the Logos is, is, is the idea of the final uh, uh, foundational word or thought or topic of discourse. Uh, for example, we get most of our scientific terms uh, from, from the Greek language or the Latin language. And we get the uh, Greek word anthropology, logos, at the end of the anthropos or the anthropos. Anthros or anthrop means man. Uh, and then logos means the study of man or the word of man or the thought of man or the foundational truth of man. So you have anthropology. You have eschatology, the study of the understanding of last day's things. You have Christology, which is the study and the understanding, the word of Christ in the scriptures. And so the word logos is a very significant word uh, from the Greek to describe who Jesus is. He was uh, in the beginning, so he existed far before, long before he came of the Virgin Mary here to this world. Uh, he was in the beginning, from the very beginning, he was there, was the word, the logos. The word was with God, so now we're talking about God the Father. And here the Word, Jesus Christ, was with God at the beginning, the Father, and the Word was God. So you have, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So you have God, and you have the Word, and they're both God. This is what the Scriptures teach. The Word is Jesus Christ. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. He created everything that's here. Jesus, the Word of God, created the universe. He created everything that exists. He is without beginning, without end. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's always existed. He created all things. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit were all instrumental in executing the creation of the universe and you and I and everything that's ever existed. Now, the Jehovah's Witnesses like to add a definite article here where they say, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. They say, and the Word was a God. They add the little a, definite article, which is not there in the original language. No uh, uh, genuine, legitimate Greek scholar would ever put the definite article a here from all of the tens of thousands of manuscripts that we have of the New Testament written in original Greek. There is no a there where it says, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God. The Word was God. The Jehovah's Witnesses say, well, the Word was a God, because they don't believe in the deity of Christ. The Jews do not believe in the deity of Christ. The Muslims do not believe in the deity of Christ. A lot of people get really hung up on this. How could God be a man? How could God have a son? Etc. And again, these are mysteries that are beyond our finding out, but the Scripture, which is the truth, teaches us that these things are so, that they are true. 
In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was, was God. Even if you put the definite article A there in front of the Word was a God, the Jehovah's Witnesses still have a problem because now you have two gods. So you're, you're right back to the same problem you started with. The Bible teaches that Jesus is God. And, uh, and so we just have to understand that this is true, as difficult as it is for us to comprehend it. Again, in verse 3, he says, All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. He's the creator, and of course only God has the power to create. And so, Jesus being the creator is God. Now, in the book of Hebrews, we read this. I'll read this to you. Hebrews chapter 1 pretty much tells us the same thing about Jesus Christ being the creator. Hebrews 1 and verse 1 says, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son. He's spoken to us through his word, the Logos, that became flesh and dwelt among us, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. Through whom also he made the worlds. Jesus created everything, the worlds, the universe, the, the ages, the eons. Who being the brightness of his glory, verse 3, and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had himself purged our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He is the brightness of the glory of the Father, and he is the express image of his person. That's why Jesus could say, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. That's why Jesus would say, I and my Father are one. That's why Jesus would say, I always do the things that please my Father. I have come to do the will of my Father. That's my meat, to do the will of my Father and to complete the work that he's given me to do. Only Jesus could say this because he was God. And he came in the express image of the person of God to show us what God is like. You want to know what God is like? Study the life of Jesus. You want to know how God thinks? Look how Jesus thinks. You want to know what God believes? Read what Jesus believes. Because Jesus is God in the flesh. The Word became flesh and He dwelt among us. We're told here that He upholds all things by the Word of His power. He created all the worlds, verse 2 of Hebrews 1. And not only did He create all the wor worlds, but He upholds the worlds. He holds, as it were, the world together. Now we read in verse 5, of Hebrews 1, the question is asked, for which of the angels did he ever, or to which of the angels did he ever say, thou art my son, today I have begotten you, and again I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. But when he again brings the firstborn, or the preeminent one, into the world, the only begotten, he says, let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels, he says in verse 7, who makes his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. So the New Testament tells us that God commands the angels to worship Jesus Christ. Now, if Jesus was just a man, he would not be allowed to be worshiped by God because only God could be worshiped. You know this. 
uh, the first two commandments. You shall have no other gods before me, and you shall not have any graven image to worship it. There's no other God that you can worship. The Lord is one God. We know this from the Old Testament, and yet the angels, the very angels, are commanded by God the Father to worship Jesus Christ the Son. You remember when Satan came and tempted Jesus and said, bow down and worship me. I'll give you all of the glory and all the power of the kingdoms of the world. It's mine to give to whomever I want. And Jesus says, you shall not worship. Uh, you shall only worship the Lord thy God. You shall not worship any other God or any, anyone else. And so uh, Jesus uh, states very clearly for us, only God is permitted to be worshipped and here. Jesus is being commanded to be worshipped by God the Father. And this, of course, is because Jesus is God. Now, when it says that he's upholding all things by the word of his power, it's very interesting. I mean, this was written 2,000 years ago, or nearly 2,000 years ago, the book of Hebrews. And uh, talking about science that they really didn't quite understand uh, until about the last 100 years of human history about the atomic level, the molecular level of all things. But it's interesting that in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1, we read this. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony... Verse 3, by faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. Now, how in the world could they have known that 2,000 years ago? Read that again in verse 3. By faith we understand, things we can't see, faith. We understand that the worlds, the, the universe, the aeons, everything was made or framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen, physical things that we see, were not made of things which are visible. The things which are seen are made of unseen things. The things which are seen are made of invisible things. Well, how could Hebrews, the author of Hebrews, have known this 2,000 years ago? It's exactly what science tells us when they discovered the atom. And they understand that everything is, is made up of these, you know, invisible atoms that you really can't see, uh, but we know that they're there. The atoms make up everything in the universe. Everything that's made up of matter is made up of atoms, but the atoms themselves are invisible. Not only are the atoms themselves invisible, the, the, the things that, that make up all matter invisible, but they're held together with like this atomic glue that today even the scientists and the quantum physicists and the astrophysicists, they really don't understand how the atom is held together. Really, the force of the atom is held together. You have the atom made up of protons, electrons, and neutrons. The protons are positive charges. The electrons are negative charges. The neutrons are neutral charges. And they know that these, these protons and electrons swirl around with a neutron, and, uh, and, and somehow all of that energy holds it together. Now, normally you would have, uh, let's say, the two uh, similar poles, the positive poles of a magnet, you'd have two uh, positive poles pushing against each other. Uh, the, the, the positives uh, oppose each other, repel, and the opposites attract magnetically. So they don't understand how you have all these protons there that normally should be pushing e each other away. They should be repelling each other. The protons are both positive charges, and yet somehow they stay in that loop of spinning around or uh, uh, going around the, the neutron, and it sticks together when 
you would think it would blow apart, it would push apart. And so this is the atomic glue that makes up all matter, the invisible things which are being spoken of here. And it, it is, we're told that it's, it's Jesus who is the atomic glue that's holding the very universe together. All the atoms themselves are being held together by him. By faith we understand the worlds were framed by the word of God, so the things which are seen were not made of the things which are visible. And we know that we had just read uh, in Hebrews chapter 1 that it's Jesus who's holding the whole universe together. So the, you, know, you see the power and the force of splitting the atom. Look at the nuclear bombs. Look at nuclear energy. When you're able to bombard an atom and bombard the protons with uh, other neutrons in, 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 you know, in a centrifuge to develop nuclear power and nuclear energy, you upset the protons and all of a sudden they begin to repel off of each other like they normally would because positives repel each other. Uh, and so they've destabilized the atom and the next thing you know you have a nuclear explosion. There's that much power that's within one atom and yet the power that's holding the atom together is greater than the power of the nuclear bomb, scientists tell us. In Hebrews and chapter 10 and verse 5, we're told concerning Jesus Christ, Therefore, when he came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the volume of the book, it is written of me to do your will, O God. And this is a prophecy from the Old Testament, speaking of Jesus Christ, from Psalm chapter 40, verses 6 through 8. It's been applied here to Jesus. Jesus is saying to the Father, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, Father, but a body you have prepared for me. There was a body prepared for Jesus in the womb of the Virgin Mary. That's why he's a man. But he's not a man like us because he doesn't have a sin nature. He didn't have a sin nature. We're born with a sin nature. Jesus uh, was born without a sin nature. He did not have a human father. And so a body was prepared for him so that he might then be an acceptable sacrifice to die for the sins of the world. Now in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 16, Paul the Apostle tells us this about Jesus and his deity. He says, For by him, Colossians 1.16, all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him, that's Jesus, and for him. And he, Jesus, is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have preeminence. Uh, verse 15 tells us he is the image of the invisible God. If you are trying to make a theological statement from the Bible that Jesus is not God, you're in big, big, big trouble because the Bible teaches Jesus is God. Whether you understand it or you want to believe it or your church teaches a different doctrine or you're a Muslim or you're a Jew or you're a Jehovah's Witness or what have you, you have a problem with the Scriptures because this is what the Scriptures teach over and over and over again, that Jesus is God. He created everything, everything that was visible and invisible. The, the angels, the demons, the thrones, the dominions, the principalities, the powers, 
All things were created through him. He created them all and created for him. Everything that was created was created for Jesus because he's going to inherit it all. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth, Jesus says. And he's going to rule forever and ever over the whole universe. It was all created by him and it was created for him. And he is the image of the invisible God. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. In Colossians chapter 2 and verse 9, we read about Jesus, that for in him, in Jesus Christ, in the word, the Logos, dwells all of the fullness of the Godhead bodily. So here you have the Godhead. The Godhead is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And he says that in him, in Jesus, dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Somehow God, the creator of the universe, wrapped himself in humanity. He wrapped himself in a human form, in a human body, yet without sin. Now in Philippians chapter 2, in verse 5, Paul the Apostle said this about Jesus. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, Philippians 2.7, taking the form of a bond servant and coming in the likeness of men. So Jesus Christ, speaking of humility here, that's the point that he's talking about, humility. He says, Jesus, looking at humility, being in the form of God, he's God. He did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. He was equal with God. He didn't hide it. That's why they actually took him and killed him because they said that in Jesus making himself God's son, the only begotten son of God, monogenous, the carbon copy, the exact same as God, the only begotten son of God, they said you are making yourself equal with God by saying that God is your personal father and that you are his son. They said you're making yourself equal with God and that's blasphemy. And that's why the Jews took him to the Romans and had him uh, had the Romans crucify him because Jesus was claiming uh, to be God. But how could he not claim to be God? That's who he is. He did not consider it robbery to be equal with God because he is equal with God, equal with God. Verse 7, but he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, a slave, really, and coming in the likeness of men. He came into this world to be a sacrifice for our sins. Verse 8 says concerning Jesus, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on the earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God has highly exalted him. He's given him a name above every name. Because he's God. He's the only begotten Son of God. He's the creator of all things. And he's holding the universe together. And one day he will come and take possession of his inheritance. And he will rule and reign forever and ever. And at this point, every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess. This is worship. 
Worship. Remember, only God is allowed to be worshipped. Hebrews 1. The angels are commanded to worship him. You remember when they came to him when Jesus was a baby, the wise men came. They said, we've come from the east to find him who was born king of the Jews for what purpose? So that we may find him and we may worship him. And they went, the wise men, to go and to worship Jesus. Jesus is to be worshipped because he is God. And one day the whole universe will worship him. Every knee should bow of things in heaven and those on the earth and those under the earth. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now it's interesting that Paul the Apostle, who was an expert in the Old Testament, that he quoted this scripture in reference to Jesus. This scripture that he's quoting here in uh, Philippians chapter 2 about that every knee should bow, every tongue should confess, is actually from the book of Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 45, this is where, what he's quoting from, the Old Testament book of Isaiah. He says this in Isaiah 45, 22. Actually, the end of 21 says this. Isaiah 45, the end of 21. There is no God besides me, a just God and a Savior. There is none besides me. Look to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth. For I am God, and there is no other. I have sworn by myself, the word has gone out of my mouth in righteousness, and shall not return, that to me, God says, every knee shall bow, and every tongue shall take an oath, and he shall say, surely in the Lord I have righteousness and strength. To him men shall come, and all shall be ashamed who are incensed against him. So this scripture from Isaiah 45, verses 22 to, uh, to 24, is actually speaking of God the Father in the Old Testament. God is speaking. He says, I am God. There's no other besides me. I'm a just God. I'm a Savior. Look to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God. There is no other. I've sworn by myself. The word has gone out of my mouth in righteousness. Shall not return that to me. Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall take an oath. Paul the Apostle says this was speaking of Jesus. To me, every knee shall bow. To Jesus Christ, every knee shall bow. And every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. The Father, Jesus, is God. The Trinity is indeed very difficult for us to understand. Again, a lot of people, theologians and others, get hung up on the Trinity. How could God be one and yet three persons? Well, there are things that are too difficult for us to understand. They're beyond our finding out. In Isaiah chapter 55, in verse 8, God says this. He says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So there's things that are just beyond our comprehension. We're just little fleas compared to God. A flea compared to you is like us compared to God, but actually a flea is even greater to you than we are to God if you look at who God is and who we are. We're nothing. We're his creation. We're fallen. We're corrupted. We're sinful. We're human. We die. We get sick. We lie, cheat, steal. We do all these things naturally because it's our human nature. We're nothing like God. He's nothing like us. He's so much greater than us 
that we can't even comprehend him. My thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord, for as the heavens are higher than the earth. You know how high the heavens are above the earth? They say that the universe is somewhere in the neighborhood of 93 billion light years long. 93 billion light years. The speed of light travels at 186,000 miles per second. Imagine how far, uh, uh, 93 billion light years, how big that would be, the expanse of the universe. As a matter of fact, they're so confused about the universe, they say that our math and our science doesn't add up. When you get out into space, it's not the same as our math and our science here on the earth. As a matter of fact, they're having a really hard time with the fact that they think that the universe is 13.8 billion years old, and yet it's 93 billion light years across at least. So if it's 93 billion light years, how could it only be 13.8 billion years old? They have a lot of problems. There should be a whole bunch of black holes and dead stars and all the rest sucking in the rest of the universe. If the universe really is 93 billion years old, they know it can't be that old, so they say, well, maybe 13.8 billion years, then why is it accelerating so fast? Actually, the speed of the universe expanding is going faster. It's accelerating, which is defined the second law of thermodynamics. The second law of thermodynamics is the law of entropy, that everything's moving toward its slower state or its cooler state. You imagine like a bomb exploding. The greatest explosion is going to be at the impact of the bomb, the detonation of the bomb. Then it's going to begin to slow down as it slowly explodes outward. And yet what we see in the universe is the universe is speeding up as it's expanding. As a matter of fact, they say now that they think the universe may be like our planet in that if you were to head, let's say, north throughout the universe, eventually you're going to end up right back where you started after 93 billion light years of traveling at the speed of light, 186,000 miles a second. You possibly would come right back to the place where you started. Kind of like getting an airplane and flying east around the planet Earth. You're going to eventually come right back to where you started. They think the universe wraps into itself in the same way. These guys don't really know what they're doing. I mean, so, this is so complex for even the scientists because they say the science out in space is different. The laws of space and science are different out in space rather than they are here on the earth. There's things that are just beyond our finding out. God's ways are too high for us. We're incapable of understanding them. It's like you trying to explain complex calculus to an ant. The ant doesn't have the comprehension. As long as you talk to it and speak to it, it's not going to know you. It's not even going to think you're, you know, a person. It's going to think you're a tree or an elephant or something, Uh, you know, and, and so God is so much greater to us than we are to an ant. The problem is we just think too highly of ourselves, so we think that we should be able to figure everything out. God's ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts as the heavens are higher. 93 billion light years higher than the earth. So God is higher than you and I. But there are a lot of threes actually in nature, which is interesting. If you start to look for threes, you find threes. It's just kind of foundational in in, in just about everything that you look at uh, in nature. For example, our whole universe is made up of a time, matter, space continuum, and matter is energy. Energy equals mc squared. Energy equals mass times acceleration squared in a vacuum, to where if you have energy going fast enough, it hits itself, uh, it'll create matter, or if you split matter up, it'll turn into energy. Energy is recycled into matter and vice versa. So you have a space, matter, time 
continuum that God created. So there's three, time, space, and matter, that make up everything. It's interesting that matter exists in space in three dimensions. You have length, width, and depth. 3D. Everything in this world is 3D. It's three dimensions. So you have a three there in how matter exists in space. With time, you break time down to past, present, and future. Three. Now, the reality is even St. Augustine, one of the greatest brilliant Christian minds of all time, he couldn't understand time. As a matter of fact, the scientists still don't really understand how time works. They say, again, time is different when you get out into space. If you went to the core of the earth, time would be slower. If you went up to the top of the Himalayas, time would move faster on an atomic clock. So even time is relative, the relativity of time. It's not the same, even on the earth in different places, much less out in space. And so you have time, which is past, present, and future. But the reality is, is past is the past. You can't live in the past. The future is still the future. You can't live in the future. So the reality is, is we only actually experience time in the present. And oftentimes we don't even focus on the present. We focus on the past and all our hangups from the past, or we worry about the future. And so we lose time because we lose out on the present, which is really all that we have to live in, is the second that we are in now. That's time as we experience it. And yet time is past, present, and future. The interesting thing about time, when you stop and think about it, it's like, how do you really determine time? If that's how we move through life and how we live here 80 or 90 years of time and, you know, uh, the universe is how old it is and what have you, how do we really understand time? I mean, it's, you know, 60 seconds, make up a minute, 60 minutes, make up an hour, 24 hours, make up a day, 365 days, make up a year. But what does that really mean? That's how we pass through time, how we experience time, living in this time-space-matter continuum. Well, we know that the earth is actually spinning on its axis. We turn on our axis at 24, uh, I'm sorry, at 1,000 miles per hour. So as you're sitting here right now, as I'm standing here right now, we're actually spinning at 1,000 miles an hour. The circumference or diameter of the earth is 24,000 miles, and we turn in just about 24 hours, one complete turn on our axis. So we're moving at not just 60 seconds a minute, not just 24 hours a day, but we're moving at 1,000 miles per hour. Interesting, everything's just not flying all over the place. 1,000 miles per hour, that's twice the speed of sound. And yet here we are, and we know the earth is spinning at 1,000 miles an hour. Now, we're actually orbiting around the sun. The earth spins, and then it orbits around the sun, and it takes 365 and a quarter days, roughly, to go around one full orbit around the sun. How fast are we flying through the solar system? Scientists tell us that we are spinning around the sun at 67,000 miles per hour. So we're flying through space. The earth is not flat. It's a globe. Contrary to popular belief, the earth is not flat. It's a globe. We're flying through space at 67,000 miles per hour right now. And we're spinning on our axis at 1,000 miles per hour. But our solar system, all of our planets in our solar system, actually are whirling around the Milky Way galaxy at 490,000 miles per hour. So how fast is time really going? You see, 
our Milky Way galaxy is one of hundreds of billions of galaxies made up of hundreds of billions of stars which have their own solar systems and so forth. And our galaxy, one of hundreds of billions of other galaxies, are actually flying through the universe, they say, at 2,236,936 miles per hour. So how do we really measure time? You see, these things are beyond our comprehension. And we're going to have a problem with the Trinity of God? We don't understand anything. People have an issue with the fact that God is one, and yet God is three, and that God became a man, and they, they, they just have a problem with this whole idea. But again, we have to go to the Scriptures. What do the Scriptures tell us? Just because we can't understand it does not mean that it's true. I would say most of you don't understand how the Wi-Fi works, how the cloud works, how the internet works, and yet you use it all the time. You don't understand how it works. You may not even understand how your engine works in your car, but it doesn't stop you from driving your car. You may not understand the laws of aerodynamics and the laws of gravity in an airplane, but it doesn't stop you from getting into a tin can of metal and going up 40,000 feet above the surface of the earth and flying. You don't have to understand something to just live with it. There's lots of things that we don't understand. But the Bible clearly teaches the Trinity, the triunity of God, three in one. Isaiah chapter 48 and verse 12 says this. Listen to me, O Jacob, and Israel my called. I am he, I am the first, I am also the last. So who is speaking here? Isaiah 48, 12, very clearly, it's God speaking. I am he, I am the first, I am also the last. Without beginning, without end, he's eternal. Indeed, verse 13, Isaiah 48, 13, my hand has laid the foundation of the earth, and my right hand has stretched out the heavens. When I call to them, they stand up together. All of you assemble yourselves and hear. Who among them has declared these things? The Lord loves him. He shall do his pleasure on Babylon, and his arm shall be against the Chaldeans. Verse 15, I, even I, have spoken. Who's speaking? God is speaking. I, even I, have spoken. Yes, I have called him. I have brought him, and his way will prosper. Now listen to this. Verse 16, come near to me, God speaking, come near to me and hear this. I have not spoken in secret from the beginning, from the time that it was, I was there. And now the Lord God, this is God, the Lord God, the one who created the universe, the Lord God and his spirit have sent me. I thought it was God that was just talking. Read it again. Come near to me and hear this. God is talking. I have not spoken in secret from the beginning. From the time that it was, I was there. He's always existed. And now the Lord God, the Father, and his Spirit have sent me. And this is God talking. So God sent God, and his Spirit sent God, and he is God? How does that work? Well, it's the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Three in one, one in three. And that's from the Old Testament. We could show you scripture after scripture in the New Testament that teach the Trinity, the triunity of God. I'll just give you a couple of scriptures here on the Trinity in the New Testament, uh, clearly taught throughout the New Testament. 
also the Old Testament. But in Matthew chapter 3 and verse 16, as Jesus was being uh, baptized by his cousin John, we read this in Matthew 3, 16. When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. What do you have here? You have the Trinity. You have Jesus Christ who is God who is being baptized. He's coming up out of the water. The Word has been made flesh and has dwelt among us. He's taken on a human body, a body you have prepared for me. He's being baptized. He's coming up out of the water. Then the Spirit of God descends upon him as the form of a dove. So you have the sun coming out of the water. You have the Spirit coming down upon him in the form of a dove. And then you have the voice breaking out from heaven of the Father saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Clearly, the triunity of God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. One more scripture in the New Testament, the end of the book of Matthew with the Great Commission. In Matthew chapter 28 and verse 18, we read this. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And so you have it right there in the Great Commission, the commission to go out and preach the gospel to the whole world and to baptize the people, not just to make converts of all the nations, but to make disciples of all the nations, followers of Jesus uh, and, and so he says, go, make disciples of all the nations and baptize them in the name of the Trinity, the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. It's interesting, verse 17 tells us that they worshipped him, actually. It says in verse 17, when they saw him, this is the resurrected Christ, they worshipped him, but some still doubted. And so even though Jesus was raised from the dead, they saw him killed. Now they see him alive. They still didn't quite understand. How could he be alive? We saw him dead. He was buried. And yet he's alive. They, some still doubt it. But they worshipped him. And again, worship is only allowed uh, to be given to God. And Jesus accepted their worship. It says, verse 17, they worshipped him, indicating that Jesus is God. Now, again, back to the threes in nature, because, again, you see it kind of everywhere. You have space-time matter. You have <clears throat> matter existing in space in length, width, and height, or depth. You have uh, the materials that make up all matter uh, broken down into threes, the proton, the electron, and the neutron. Then, actually, they've taken uh, the protons... You know, the atoms are made up of protons, electrons, and neutrons. And these are, you know, these are invisible things. You can't really see them. They're just mathematically equated. They know they're there. But in the, uh, uh, in, in the particle accelerator over in Europe, they have these huge pipes where they are blasting these protons at each other. And these protons are traveling at the speed of light, uh, hydrogen protons. And they hit each other and they explode. 
and then they take pictures, and it's all mathematical quantum physics, but they take pictures of the protons. Remember, protons, electrons, neutrons make up the atoms. Atoms make up everything. Well, they found that the protons are made up also of three composites, uh, subatomic, subatomic particles, of course. But you have uh, Higgs boson particles. The boson particles is the God particle. Uh, you have neutrinos, and you have quarks that make up the protons. So, I mean, the, the more you dig into nature, the more you see threes everywhere. Why is that? Why is that? You know, you have uh, matter will exist in, in three different states, liquid, gas, and solid. Matter exists in three different states. You could have ice, you could have steam, uh, or you could have liquid water, threes everywhere within our universe. It's interesting that when God made man, uh, he uh, made man as a body, a soul, and a spirit, threes. Not just in the very beginning, but also uh, in the New Testament, we're told uh, in the book of Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, that we are body, soul, and spirit. Body is how we relate to the physical world. Our soul is our emotions, our mind, our will, our ability to reason uh, is our soul or our mind. And then the spirit is that by which we relate to God and we commune with God. God made man in his image, Genesis 1, 26 and 27, and he created us in his image with a body, a soul, and a spirit. We are triune, inferior trinities, actually. God is a trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He created us as an inferior trinity. Now, all of the examples or illustrations or metaphors that you could come up with with the trinity in nature will eventually break down and fall apart because it's just beyond our understanding. But you do see it, again, in nature. You see even, like, again, with, with uh, water. It could be ice, it could be liquid water, or it could be steam. It's all the same thing, but it's three uh, aspects of the same substance, ice, water, or steam. You remember uh, Patrick, St. Patrick came to Ireland, and he tried to describe the Trinity uh, one God, three persons to all the pagans that were there, the Celts and the Druids and others. And he uh, found the shamrock, the three-leaf clover, to show that it was one shamrock, but it had three leaves. The three equals one. Kind of simple, but it works. Um, the idea of the egg is interesting. You have the egg shell, you have the yolk, and you have the white. So you have one egg, but it's composed of three different parts of that egg, you know, Three and one, one and three. You have the shell, you have the yolk, and you have the egg white. I think uh, it's, it, you know, this idea of three being one, it's just hard for us to wrap our minds around. But it is interesting that when God made man, when he first created Adam, Eve wasn't there, but Eve was there because Eve was inside of, of Adam. So Adam was created. He was made in the image of God. It says male and female uh, he created them when he created Adam. Even though there was no female initially, there was just a male, God took Eve out of Adam. They say it was a rib, but it was part of his side, was taken out of Adam. Adam was put to sleep uh, under an anesthesia, and then God fashioned a woman out of the rib or the side of Adam. And so where was Eve before that? Eve was inside of Adam. So you have Adam, you have Eve, they're now two, but they were once one. The two are one. The one were two, okay? Then God says, you know, 
be fruitful and multiply. The first command he gave to Adam and Eve was to fill the earth, to procreate and fill the earth. To love was his, really his first commandment to man uh, and woman. Be fruitful uh, and multiply. And so Eve had been in Adam. Then Adam, through the act of sexual reproduction, went back inside of Eve And the Bible says the two became one flesh. Two separate people becoming one. Before it was one, but there were two. You see, it's just hard for us to understand. But the Bible teaches us that these things are true. Now, the fascinating thing is is that when the two become one, you end up with a third because you have a baby. When the two become one, procreation, reproduction, and the three are one from the same individual Adam. The one has become three, you see. It is interesting to me that twins can be fraternal twins, which are two different eggs fertilized in the womb of the woman by two different sperms, and you have fraternal twins like uh, Esau and Jacob, let's say, that they're born one after the other, but they're, they're different. They're, they're, they're born at the same time, kind of like a litter of kittens or a litter of puppies. They're not exactly the same, but they're born from the same uh, parents, and two eggs are, are fertilized or inseminated uh, by two uh, sperm, and then you have two babies that are born instead of one. That's a fraternal twin, but you also have identical twins. And identical twins, you really can't tell them apart. As a matter of fact, identical twins, it's one egg and one sperm that actually separates into two zygotes. And the two zygotes become two exactly identical babies. The two are exactly the same. As a matter of fact, even in forensic criminology, if you have identical twins, you could almost always say, well, it wasn't me that committed the crime if you're an identical twin. Because you could say, I have an identical twin out there somewhere. And if I left DNA at the crime scene, it could be my identical twin brother who committed this crime because it's exactly the same. The DNA is exactly the same. There's no difference between the two identical twins. They're exactly the same biologically according to the DNA. They look exactly the same, and yet they're two separate and distinct individual people. That's how we know that people are not born gay. If people were, which science has already proven, although they don't talk about it, that there is no gay gene, It's a choice that people make, often due to sexual abuse as a child and so forth. Uh, But if if there was a gay gene, every single identical twin that was gay, the other would always be gay. And that's not the case. You have half the time an identical twin is gay, the other one is heterosexual. And so you would have to have exactly the same DNA. If you were born gay, your identical twin would also be gay 100% of the time. And that is not the case. I mean, some of you may even know people who are identical twins. One of them is gay and one is not. Because they're different people, although they're uh, 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 genealogically exactly the same. Now, what's fascinating is that triplets, triplets can be born as fraternal triplets, which means you have three babies, three zygotes, three eggs, and three sperm separately in the womb were all conceived at the same time. And so you have three babies that are fraternal uh, triplets or twins. They're triplets, but they're not identical. However, very rarely you have identical triplets. It's very, very rare But you have the zygote that splits, and now you have identical twins, and then one of the zygotes splits again, and you have a third twin. Sometimes you could have quadruplets. It's very, very rare. 
where it splits again, and then you have four. Exactly identical twins. So again, you have one egg, one sperm, three different people that come out of that woman's body that are exactly the same. They all look exactly the same, but they're three separate, distinct persons. So God gives us some hint in nature of the triunity of God, even though we can't understand it, and every example eventually falls flat because, of course, God was not created. He's always existed, uh, but he's never been alone. He didn't need us. He wasn't lonely. That's not why he created us. He wasn't lonely. He had himself. It was God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The problem with people that, that get hung up with the Trinity, they say, well, how could God, you know, if it's, if it's God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, it's not one God. It's three. They think it's one plus one plus one equals three. It's three gods. The Bible says, no, it's one God. The math is not one plus one plus one equals three. It's one times one times one equals one. That's the trinity of God. Shall we pray? Lord, we thank you so much for sending us your son. Lord, these things are too heavy for us. They're too big for us to understand. So we just come to you with the faith of a little child, Lord. We come to you with faith believing in you, Lord Jesus. We thank you for coming here to take take on a human body, to live among us, to die for us, and to be raised again on the third day. We thank you that you were seated at the right hand of the Father, And we look forward, Jesus, to your soon return. We see our world falling apart. We see our state burning down. Lord, there is so much chaos and confusion and so much misinformation. Lord, so much fear and anxiety. And so, Lord, our eyes are fixed on heaven. We're looking up for our redemption, no doubt, draws nigh. Bless your people, Father. Help us to be all in for you. In these last days, use us, we pray, to reach others for Christ. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. We all want to thank you for listening. If this message has blessed you, as we all pray that it has, send the link to this podcast to your friends. Working together, we can get Michael's teaching of the whole of God's inerrant word to all those who hunger to hear it. If you would like to see this ministry expand to reach even more of the broken and lost, if you have questions, comments, and prayer requests, email us at coahpodcast at gmail.com. We would be honored to pray for you, as we hope you are praying for us. Good day and God bless from City on a Hill Church to Hatchapi, California.